Welcome to Hip to the Scene. Talking music, Talking music videos, and, and everything in between. Hello, everybody. My name is Andy Gessner, and I am welcoming you to episode eight of Hip to the Scene, where every episode we lean on an expert. Someone who is 100% hip to the scene and fully qualified to answer the question. We know that our viewers, independent creatives from all over this world torn asunder, are looking to have answered. And today's question is basically getting at the core of everything we do in the musical world. And that question is, how do you have a hit song? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a hit song. I am quite confident everyone viewing is longing and craving and perhaps praying for a hit song. So what are we doing? We're going to talk to someone who can speak directly to this question. And that person is the one and only Jim Peterick. Welcome to Hip to the Scene. Hey, Andy, uh, whatever you're taking, I'll take some of it, too. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, Jim, you are the poster child for if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Amen. Amen to that. And um, songwriting for me is really where it starts. You know, yeah, I love to stand on stage and show off, you know, but you got to have something to sing. And uh, I've never been into the cover band thing. I mean, even in the early Ides of March back in 64, we were playing a fair amount of originals, you know, um, things like with crazy funny titles like Like It or Lump It and No Two Ways About It until I finally wrote something that really sounded like a hit record. What does that sound like? I don't know, but when you hear it, you kind of know, right? And it's called You Wouldn't Listen. And in fact, Larry, who uh, is helping me out here, I've known Larry since third grade. He's my right-hand man and uh, amazing engineer, songwriter, uh, and, and great pal. We collaborated on this thing called You Wouldn't Listen. It went to number 42 on the Billboard charts and uh, number seven in Chicago. And suddenly we were on American Bandstand and Mama Cash Show. And all these great things were opening up to us. And I was 15. So I was baptized very young, Andy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, watching Hip to the Scene, this transmission is very special for us here because, let's face it, folks, there are plenty of hit songs in circulation right now. There always are. But how many of today's hits will people still be singing in 10 years? Or will they be singing in 30 years? Or dare I say 50 years? 
takes a very special musician to write songs that remain in the popular imagination for decades, songs that become part of our pop cultural heritage. Grammy award-winning Jim Peterick, he is that rare songwriter. And though you may not be familiar with the name, you know the songs. Yes, the songs live on. They are legendary. Hits come and go, but and some number one smashes are quickly forgotten, but Vehicle by the Ides of March and Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, each written by our guests today, will surely outlive us all. Which, th- thank you for, you're right. I mean, not just my stuff, but, you know, classic rock. <laughs> You know, that's what Stallone, when he, he gave me that answering machine call, hey, yo, Jim, give me a call, it's Sylvester Stallone. It's a nice, yeah, I thought someone was putting me on, you know, of course. And uh, when my wife Karen finally says, you know, just on the off chance, you better call this dude back, you know. So I, I, I dialed the uh, Los Angeles area code, which is a pretty good sign that it might be legit. And I go, this is Jim Peterick. Is this really Sylvester Stallone? He goes, hey, Jimbo, call me Sly, you know. <laughs> and it's funny you should say that because he said, you know, that Gonna Fly Now song, it's really nice, you know, but I, I need something for the kids, something with a pulse. Can you help me out? I said, no problem, Sly. And he said, I want something that's going to outlive you and me. And uh, but that's what we set out to do. And so far, so good. That was 1982, and Eye of the Tiger is still in the lexicon. It's still being played, performed. It's motivating people to to go that final mile to beat cancer, to fight. I'm very proud that I'm a part of that message. And how fitting was it when that phone call came in, just like any other hard-working creative you went to grab something to write down notes what did you grab Jimbo a, a notebook you know and my uh, little uh, Walkman or whatever the hell it was and start singing into it and then when we got the the mo- uh, the, the movie you know I just started going you know like that and we we're watching the punches being thrown and I'm going Let's see them. Wait for the punch. You get the idea. And we were off and running. And uh, man, I'll tell you, those moments don't happen that much. But people say, what's the best song you have ever written? And I go... Maybe I haven't written it yet, so I'm keeping, I always chase that elusive great song. Well, yes, sir, you are a uh, great inspiration. Not only have you written an inspirational anthem like Eye of the Tiger, but you, sir, are inspirational in that tenacity and stick-to-itiveness you got to be darn certain, everybody seeing this transmission, that Jim is now going to share with you the sage wisdom that when it comes to songwriting, it really is about tenacity 
and stick-to-itiveness, isn't it, Jim? Oh, my God, yeah. You know, if you don't write 20 uh, songs in a given period, you may not get that one or two that is really special. And they're not all going to be gems. Come on. We're, we're not uh, geniuses, but, I, I, you know, you get lucky. You get lucky. You get inspired. You hear something on the news. If someone says a phrase or, I'm your vehicle, baby. You know, that one came about from a, a, a girl I was trying to win back, and uh, she had dumped me, you know. But I had this cool car. I had a 64 Plymouth Valiant. You can relate to that, of course. And... Uh, Suddenly, she starts calling me again after we broke up. She said, this is not a date, but can you take me to modeling school? I said, yeah. I mean, I'd sit next to her. Maybe she'd hug me or give me a kiss or whatever, you know. And after about three months of that, I'm thinking to myself, I'm starting to resent it. I'm going, all I am is her vehicle, baby, you know. See, that's how a seed starts. That's how a song starts. And I'm, I just heard that, that lick in my head. And I wrote the song and showed it to the guys. We arranged it. And suddenly we're on the road with all these great bands like Jimi Hendrix. And, and guess who starts calling me again? This time for a date. She said, this girl said, maybe yeah, we should try this again. Maybe I was a little hasty, you know. Mm -hmm. And oh, you know, these, these ladies. And I, I let her hang on that phone for a good long three seconds before I said, absolutely, let's try it. And... 49 years later, that's still my wife, and I'm still her vehicle, baby. <laughs> well, Karen is one lucky lady to have a man in her life like Jimbo. Jimbo, one of the things that is universally known about you in this very difficult industry is that you, my friend, you are a people person. You are generous and kind. And when it came time to go to the Led Zeppelin party, it was like that old Three Dog Night song. You were thinking of mom, mama don't want me to be here. You have always flown against the uh, just the the longstanding sex drugs and debauchery and here you are and you're still fighting the good fight you don't always know that you might have a hit song oh yeah i Please got you. speak to how sometimes a song can be shall we say shelved for a while and then you might show it to a trusted collaborator and boom well that happens all the time you know sometimes you underestimate a song and the co-writer goes, what's that? That's fantastic. Sometimes it's the other way where you go, this is fantastic. Everybody goes, that sucks, you know. <laughs> but I remember, uh, you know, writing with 38 Special. You know, we, we the first thing we ever wrote together was, you know, you see it all around you. You know, hold on loosely, man. We caught lightning in a bottle, man. And it was Don Barnes here and Jeff Carlisi. And, and uh, Jeff, uh, well, Don started it. Cause we're all sitting around eating nachos that Karen was making. And uh, kind of like, you know, it's a little awkward. It's like a blind date times three, right? <laughs> and uh, Don Barnes says, you know, uh, I got a title. And I go, well, what? let's hear it. He goes, hold on loosely. I said, man, that's cool. But don't let go. So I, but don't let, yeah. And I started thinking about dating Karen when I was 17 and 
how I was getting a little too heavy for her, you know? And then uh, Jeff Carlisi goes, well, I got a riff, and he says, kind of like the cars, you know? I said, man, that's fantastic. So in this case, I kind of became the alchemist in the room, putting all those elements together. And that's a real, that's a really good talent to have as a songwriter. You don't always initiate the idea, but you know, you're like the piece of tofu that attracts all the flavors, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we knocked that thing out in about, you know, four hours. We sent it to uh, Mark Spector, the manager, and he goes, you guys got a number one record here. And we go, fantastic. You know, but those are the magic moments. You, you just wait for lightning to strike like that. Same thing with heavy metal, you know? Uh, again, a blind date that John Kaladner, I don't know if that name rings a bell with you. John Kaladner, famous, uh, iconic uh, A&R man for Atlantic and then uh, different record companies, uh, Geffen and stuff like that. He's the guy with the long Hasidic beard, the guy that, uh, <laughs> that uh, was in a wedding dress for Aerosmith's pump video. You remember the guy? Yes. He was like my mentor. And he put me together with Hagar and put me together with Henry Paul and the Outlaws and uh, Steve Tyler. And uh, he was just a fantastic guy. And I owe a lot to him putting me together with various collaborators. And each collaborator brings something else out of you. And of course, you have over many decades now as uh, a songwriting expert, I mean, not only did you write the book Songwriting for Dummies, but you mentor lots of the best and brightest new talent out there. What are the biggest pitfalls you see these talented creatives are falling for and the traps and the booby traps? It's crazy out there, Jimbo. Well, there, there's so many pitfalls. One is underestimating your own talent and material. Um, I'm writing with a band in Nashville right now that they're, they're very like low key. They're signed and everything, but they have no self-esteem. They're like, well, listen to this. It's probably a piece of, you know, and I'll listen and go, dude, think again. And I, I find the gem in the, amidst the rhinestones, you know, and a lot of times there's something they missed. So that's a, that's a big pitfall. The other extreme is overestimating your talents and your your assets, and thinking that you've got the next uh, Hey Jude, and uh, it ain't, you know. So you've got to be kind of realistic, and you got to rely on other people's ears, get some opinions, take them seriously. I mean, provided that you trust that person and his taste or her taste. So those things. When it comes to a song. I know that you're a big fan of recording things and making sure that everything that comes out of your creative energies are, shall we say, filed away perhaps for future use. But we really want you to speak to the fact that your reputation is one void of hubris, my friend. You are the antithesis of lots of famous rock musician types. And it's just obviously your calling card that you are a genuine 
human being and you live by that old rule, you want to treat people the way you'd want to be treated. True that. True that. You know, you, you mentioned um, uh, the way I categorize things. Downstairs in my basement, I have lockers full of notebooks, all dated, um, with a lot of songs that haven't been written, you know. And so if I go through a dry period of inspiration, I'll either get with a collaborator, which is, which is great, or I'll collaborate with myself. And I'll, I'll just pick a notebook. And sometimes those unfinished ideas, maybe you got to live another 20 years to, to realize it and to bring the story to fruition. And I'll finish a song that I started. It's like collaborating with yourself. And uh, that's another technique that I recommend to uh, songwriters because, you know, it's, it's a way to break out of a creative slump. Absolutely. Now, of course, in 1964, up until that point, most parents got their kids in an, an accordion. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden, there were these mop tops coming out of Britain, and I know how much they influenced you. But all of a sudden, the suburban kids were buying guitars, and wow, Jim, you were just a baby lamb teenager and all this stuff was happening. It's been said experience is a hard teacher. She gives the test first and the lessons afterwards. What do you wish you would have known back in the late 60s when, oh my gosh, those 50,000 watch Chicago radio stations, whether it was WLS or WCFL, they were supporting the entire scene and just kids literally out of high school going to college or on the charts. I know how Quick Vehicle rose in the charts because I was listening. One week it was just outside the top 40, then all of a sudden it was 33, and then it was 19, and then it was nine, then it was two. It was like all of a sudden you're a 19 year old kid with a number two billboard <laughs> smash. Man, I'll tell you, and number one in cash box, although that was the weak sister, but absolutely, I'll, I'll take it. I, I think you know, my biggest regret, it's really not a huge regret, was listening to my parents. <laughs> that sounds weird, but. Uh, they were like, well, Jimmy, this is going to pass. It's nice. You're number one right now, number two, whatever. But, you know, you need something to fall back on. You know, that old, you got to, you know, fall back on something because this music thing, that's, nah, that's kid stuff. It's not really going to last. And they were probably right, but at, at age almost 71, it's, guess what, folks? It's lasted, you know. But, you know, I went to college and the University of Illinois, and I, I have to say I kind of wasted a lot of time. And uh, and I never did graduate because suddenly, man, we had to get hit the road. But I could have had more forward momentum if I had taken those two years and just kept at it with the eyes and kept putting out records and and motivating towards that finish line. So I, this is not a good lesson that, that your Andy's going to really get a lot of fans from the parents. But if you really have that talent, you really do have that vision. Give yourself the best chance. Yes, indeed. What Jim is saying, ladies and gentlemen, is 100% true. It's better to try something and fail than do nothing and succeed. And yes, many of you watching have had parental units that were giving you the icy eyeball with the music stuff. 
I'll never forget when I showed my dad my first record album, Jimbo. He picked it up, looked at it, kind of pulled the sleeve out. You know, he, he was he was examining it like a product in a department store. He puts it down on the table, looks up at me and says, this is all well and good, son. But are you making any money? <laughs> exactly. Well, then you've been there, Andy. Yes, sir. And, uh, my son, uh, totally different. He's he's 32 now, and you know, enormously talented. He's got a new a solo album coming out, and he's got a, a Steely Dan tribute band called um, Brooklyn Charmers. Really proud of him. Two grandchildren, blah blah blah. But uh, he's finally ready. He's finally ready to get out there as a solo artist. I'm really, really proud of him. But I never ever pushed him because that's the best way of you know, really discouraging somebody. They want to feel they're empowered and their own captain, you know? Well, I can imagine as a proud daddy, you want Colin on some of your projects, but in one of the podcasts that I listened to, he was very clear. He said, you know, having a legendary musical figure as a dad is one of the greatest things in the world, but sometimes they'll come to me and it's, just not something that fits my filter. You got a smart kid there, Jimbo, that knows where he's gonna fit in and where he might not. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that, although I'm pissed, but no, I'm seriously, <laughs> he can't, you know, I don't, I'm really glad he's, he's got his own vision of where he wants to be as, as an artist and a songwriter. And he's watched me songwrite forever. You know, he's 32 now. And it's a nonstop uh, profession for me. It doesn't stop because I'm in the supermarket picking out the best avocado. It keeps going. And people know, oh, there's Jim, you know, into the phone and, and putting down an idea for later and I'll get home and I'll see if there's anything there. But it's, Karen is, is a saint because she's really used to uh, me not being always totally engaged with what she's saying. But uh, she knows that this is me. And she accepted that when when she was 19 and I was 21 and we got married. Yes, indeedy. And those early 70s years, it was almost as if uh, Mr. and Mrs. P might have had a little bit of leverage because all of a sudden, uh, Yes, indeed. It's it is a cruel, shallow trench out there. In other words, passing fads. And yes, I think that is why when Survivor got that call, you felt that palpable sense of urgency because tell Jim, tell this audience, you got to be ready for your opportunities when they come. That's right. I mean, you have to be ready. You know, when Stallone uh, left that message, I, th I thought it was a joke, but when I called him back, I was confident as could be because I knew this was the golden moment that I've been waiting for, you know? And, uh, and then it came again uh, a year and a half later when Frankie and I are sitting around the pool in, in the South opening up Ferrario Speedwagon and Hey, yo, we got we to gotta do it again. I got a movie called Rocky Four. Can you help us out? Hell yeah. Send us the script. And we saw that East versus West 
dichotomy and the political tension and it's really a great story to write a song from. I mean, people say, is it hard to write for a movie? No, man, it's easy as long as it's a great movie. You got your script, you got your schematic right there. You don't have to create a story out of whole cloth, you know. So writing for film, Delirious, I, I wrote the theme song for John Candy's Delirious uh, called Welcome to Our, My Wildest Dreams. And again, you have the script, you have the storyline. All you got to do is put some effing great notes to it. When everything did happen with Eye of the Tiger, it was almost an uh, instant replay of 1970 in that, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to writing a hit song, you gotta hook them to cook them. Come on, folks, don't do the big long opening. You gotta get right into it. Do, 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 do. <laughs> You're hooked. Or, Jim, give it to us. Give us that. Well, you know, that's true. You know, the hook is, uh, the beginning hook is so important. But Eye of the Tiger had a 30 second intro. But that was the hook in itself, you know, with the, with the punches. You know. So that flew against, you know, traditional wisdom, but nobody fell asleep during that intro, you know? No, sir. But and it, it definitely did speak to the challenges that you felt in the 70s in that you really have to stay in the fight. Oh, man. Yeah, well said. But, you know, uh, Vehicle was just right off the... the uh, Right off, one, two, ba da ba ba da Gotta do that real thing. Then the horns come back. ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da ba ba da Hey, well, I'm the friendly stranger in the black sedan. Drop inside my car. I got pictures. Kenny, I'm a lovable man. Take you to the nearest stop. I'm your vehicle, baby. Take it anywhere you want to go I'm your vehicle woman But now I'm sure you know That I love you, I need you I want you, got to have you, child Great God in heaven, you know I love you One, two, ba-da-ba-ba-da Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen From Berwyn, Illinois the one and only Jim Peterick. Jim, you need to tell us about this awesome new record coming out. You've mentored so many incredible people. And, you know, he was talking about uh, REO Speedwagon, obviously, when uh, Kevin, Kevin from the band, right? He came to see an Ides of March show and he was just a pimply faced kid. Right, Jim? Uh, Kevin, Kevin Cronin? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, he hired us for their homecoming dance at, at their at his high school. Um, so we we go back, you know, and we we're still dear friends. We we're both just inducted uh, along with the Ides of March into the Illinois uh, Hall of Fame, which uh, you'll hear a lot more about. But that was a, a big honor. He flew in for that, buddy guy. All these great stars that I was um, uh, that we were nominated with. And uh, Cronin and I just cut up and had a blast. You know, he's just a, just a local guy from Oak, Oak Lawn. Yeah, Oak Lawn. 
of course now he's he's been Hollywood for many years now and I don't hold that against him. Well, there were bands and many bands they start someplace and then they find shall we say a different place to go but what we love about you Jim is the Ides of March will always be from Berwyn, Illinois. Berwyn, and we, we make a big deal of it. But getting back to uh, Tigris, which is coming out uh, November 5th, it's all female. Uh, all the vocalists are female, and a lot of the guitar players, Jennifer Batten, who, of course, ripped it up with Michael Jackson, and, a, and a, not a bad guitarist named Jeff Beck. Uh, she, she of the Mohawk hair back in, back in the day. She's all over this album. Kathy Richardson, who's uh, has been with the Jefferson Starship now for about six years, who I mentored and discovered when she was 19. Very proud of that. And uh, just so many great females, Les Leslie Hunt, and uh, uh, from Vixen, uh, Janet, Janet Gardner, and on and on and on. This album, it's going to be on Frontiers. Frontiers is kind of my my label uh, in, in Italy, but they're worldwide now. The very first Pride of Lions album, that was the first album I did with them in, in 03 with Toby Hitchcock, who's, he was the great singer I was looking for. Uh, sadly, when Jimmy Jameson passed, you know, he was the guy that, as a songwriter, Andy, I think you can relate to this, I, I thrive on great voices. And I've got a good voice, but I look for that Dave Bickler, that Jimmy Jameson, that Don Barnes magical voice, that Toby Hitchcock, uh, to inspire me. And knowing I could write a note up there, like a high C or an E, and damn it, he can sing it, or she can sing it. So the singer's very important to me as, as a songwriter. Like the interview you did, Jim, where it's... Uh... It's your first big hit. I can imagine hearing you wouldn't listen to me on WCFL as a teenage kid. Must have been a thrill of a lifetime. But you had a manager that at this point will go nameless who came to visit you all rehearsing in your basement. And he told you about modulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, a great story. Actually, Dutch Winslow can be uh, named because he should have really gotten credit of producing You Wouldn't Listen, but he got usurped by a, a manager, a manager. Anyway, long story, but it's true. I mean, he came down, he, he liked like it or lump it and no two ways about it, which we pressed up ourselves. But he came to hear, what do you got more? What do you got? And... Uh, Played him a couple things. Well, that's nice. What else? And we had just written. We pulled an all-nighter at Larry's house, and uh, and I, we played him a, a thing that he said, "What? What is that?" And it was, it was this real simple kind of Holly's lick, you know. And it's good, you know. And it got to the last chorus. He goes, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" And I go, "What?" He said, "Man, you gotta." top 10 record if you put a modulation in there and we go yeah what's a modulation <laughs> and he goes well that's when you kind of lift it up or lower it but usually you lift it up like a half step or a whole step and the excitement just just blossoms you know so you know we started and I, I told you he was a fool I suddenly yeah 
It was like this revelation, right? Owe it all to Dutch Winslow. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, what a pleasure it has been, this transmission with the one and only Jim Peterick, songwriter extraordinaire. We spoke about the book. You want to learn all about Jim and his incredible life story. Just a kid in the suburbs of Chicago and look at him now, ladies and gentlemen, living large, loving life, and giving back. He's giving back to those who need the sage wisdom and the tutelage the most. So I encourage everybody viewing this episode of Hip to the Scene, go out and buy a copy of Through the Eye of the Tiger. Thank you, Andy. Wow, pleasure talking to talking to you, because um, you you get it, you know, and you've done it, and that's that's very very cool. So yes, thank- sir. Well, I will tell you just like how Elvis Presley changed your your young life. Uh, it was a Sunday night. I had an older sister just like you, Jim. I also was an accident. <laughs> Yep. She came into my room. It was a Sunday night. She was 13, all whipped up. She said, come on, come on, come on, come on. We're going to watch Beatles on TV. (laughs) And I remember sitting there. My older brother was on one side. Jaw hit the floor. My sister was on the other side, spinning like a whirling dervish. I turned around, look at my parents. They were aghast. Not in a good way. No, they were no. like, we should not be subjecting our children to this nonsense. But I think anybody who saw that knew that the 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 landscape was shifting. I mean, and they're so clean cut when you look at them now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, One last question. Is it really true that in 1964, you had handlers who said, kids, we got to go to the wigwam? (laughs) How do you know all this stuff? Oh, my God. Because I'm a super fan, Jim. I get it. You wanted to be noticed. I'm just like you. I was just born to be out front. Hey, look at me. Yeah, man. Our manager... You know, shuffled us off to the wig. Actually, it was called the Wigdom, but close enough. It wasn't a wigwam. They probably had to change the name for copyright. But anyway, we all got fitted for our our wigs, uh, and they were pretty nice. They had the comb in the front, and we made it to our our gig in in Algonquin, uh, Illinois, a place called the New Place. And there we were, these mutants from Berlin, Illinois, in our long-haired wigs, you know. And everybody was like, whoa, who are these guys? And in the audience was a group called The Flock, who, of course, had hits with Take Me Back and the Horns. And, and they were watching us during this, this show. And they invited us over to the house because they wanted to learn how we do those harmonies. So we went over the next day, not thinking too much about it, without our wigs. And we opened the door. They opened the door and go, who the hell is this? It's the Ides of March. 
Oh, man, they were so disappointed, man. <laughs> we had the you know, typical little beetle cuts. and uh, But we taught them. We were, they wanted to work out. I'd get around by the Beach Boys, and we, we tried to help them. But just a real short story. <laughs> Thanks for letting me tell it. It's a shorty, an oldie, but a goodie, Jim. <laughs> All right, everybody. Do not go away from this transmission without checking out... Jim's website. Jim, you want to let the viewing audience and listening audience know where to find you, sir? Uh, well, it's at Facebook, uh, Jim Peterick at Facebook.com. Uh, Jimbo at, I don't know. I don't know those things. You tell them. I'll, All I'll you have time. to do, ladies and gentlemen, is Google his name. There you go. Absolutely. And just know there's a Brand new record coming out on November 5th. It is called Tigress Women Who Rock the World. Definitely check out World Stage. That is Jim's ongoing project where he helps all kinds of up-and-coming talented creatives just like you looking to get a leg up in the music industry. But I can speak on behalf of my entire team here, Jim. It's been a great pleasure and a great thrill to get to speak with you on Hip to the Scene. Yeah, Andy, thank you. Bop, bop, bop.